believe 2023 is over already. Uh, my mind is still back in 1994. So, surprise, 2024 is coming up. But if you have your Bibles, please open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is going to be the text for us this morning. It's been a while since I've been in the book of Ecclesiastes. So it is a joy for me to, to be able to come back to this book <clears throat> and be able to dive into the text and hopefully for all of us to be able to learn more about how to live wisely in this world and to honor the Lord through our life. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapters 11 verses 1 to 6 will be the text for us this morning. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. I don't know if you ever played this game when you were a child called do-over. It's not really a game, but it's just more like something that you would say when things don't go right in your life. If you roll a dice in a board game and it doesn't land on the dice that you like, you say do-over. And the idea is that you can start over. You made a poor decision and you want to redo that again. But we know in life, sometimes there are moments where we feel this way. I know some of you have lived long enough to know that you look back at your life and you think, I wish there were some things in my life that I can do over. Some of you young people as well, maybe not as many as the old people, but you think to yourself, I wish I could just go back to the last year and do over one decision or, or change a, my course of action. Because there's some decisions that you make in your life that will have impact not only for today, but for days after, months and years into the future. And the reason why we want to do do-overs is because in the moment when we make those decisions, in the moment when we make those mistakes, we lack wisdom. We lack perspective. We lack the knowledge to be able to make the right decisions in the moment. And this is what's so good about the Word of God. The Word of God gives us the tools to be able to think clearly it has everything that we need pertaining to life of godliness. It gives us all that we need in order to live in this life with wisdom. And I know we're reaching the end of the year, and I know some of you are probably making New Year's resolutions. And hopefully, one of those resolutions is that you live wisely for the glory of God. That you live wisely for the glory of God more than losing your weight or having a certain diet plan or certain hobbies or discipline, that the thing that you want to have is wisdom so you can honor the Lord with your life. 
I know it's been a while since we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes, so I'd like to kind of summarize what we've gone through so far. Ecclesiastes written by Solomon, I believe that it is Solomon, because in chapter 1, verse 1, it states, the word of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. There's only one person in the entire Old Testament that fits this category. Someone who is a son of David and who is a king over all of Jerusalem. There was no one at the time after David that was able to have such a reign like Solomon. Solomon, we know, is known as the wisest man that has ever lived. I argue maybe he's the second wisest man, second to Christ. But in the Old Testament, he was someone that had an encounter with God. And God asked him, what is it that you want, Solomon? And Solomon did not ask for riches. He didn't ask for women. The thing that he wanted the most was wisdom. He wanted the ability to discern right and wrong so that he could govern God's people well. And this request pleased the Lord. Unfortunately, even though Solomon had this gift, he didn't use it well. I mean, he brought Israel to its peak. Israel was at his prime under the reign of Solomon. He was so successful as a king that it's described that there was just silver on the road and people didn't even pick it up. Because Israel, or Jerusalem, was brought into a state of massive wealth because of Solomon. But at the same time, in 1 Kings 11, we see the compromises that he makes. 1 Kings 11, the phrase that, go, that, rec- that describes Solomon is not about his wisdom, it's not about his success, but rather his heart was turned away from the Lord. And if you read through 1 Kings 11, at the very end, you might wonder, does Solomon ever repent? Did he turn back to the Lord? And I believe Ecclesiastes gives us this clue and really an answer that he did. In fact, Ecclesiastes tells us what that life was like, that he, he lived a life without the Lord. He did everything that he wanted to do under the sun, and at the end of the day, he realized all of the pleasures, all of the possessions, they were completely meaningless. The word that shows up throughout this book the most commonly used word in this book is the word vanity. In Hebrew, is the word hevel. It's, it sounds like a breath, hevel. And that's exactly what it's like for all his pleasures, all his endeavors, everything that he's owned, everything, every pleasure that he was able to enjoy, it was but a fleeting breath. And Solomon goes on this entire escapade and his entire journey, and he's giving us a report of his findings. That life under the sun without God is completely meaningless. Chapter 1, he, he talks about how life under the sun, how everything that we do will not last forever. Everything that is that's done in the world is not new. It's, it's been there before and people have just forgotten it and they do the same things over and over again. And in the end, it is completely vain. Chapter 2, Solomon then talks about all the pleasures that he's able to enjoy, or the things that he's able to purchase with his gold and money, or the, or the relationships that he's had. Solomon had a thousand women in his life. Every single one of these pleasures that he's able to enjoy, at the end of it, he finds that it is completely useless. In chapter 3, he talks about the reality of time, and that there, <coughs> excuse me, that there are extremes in life. There's a time of one extreme and there's a time of another extreme and we live life 
in both extremes and even in the middle. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time of war and a time of peace. And this extremes that tell us that although we go through these times, these seasons, they are but a fleeting breath as well. Chapter 4, Solomon continues on by saying that life in a fallen world is very difficult. So have other people in your life to enjoy it with. It is easier and better for you in light of a fallen world, as difficult as life can be, to enjoy with other people. Have people in your life that, can walk, that you can walk this life with. Chapter 5 begins with about how we are to worship the Lord. When we enter into the temple of God, when we go to the place of worship, we should not be people that talk to God, and we need to be wise with our words, Rather, we need to, instead of talking, we need to listen to God. And at the end of chapter 5, Solomon talks about the, the vanity of riches, that you can have all this wealth in the world, but in the end, it is completely vain without the Lord. Chapter 6 talks about the futility of life and that this life is very short. It is, it, it, you, you come into the world, you live for a certain amount of years, even if it's 100 years or 200 years, it's a very short amount of time. It passes very quickly. It then goes into chapter 7 about how believers are to find ways in which we could recalibrate our lives. That we look at into our lives and we think, what are the things that help us think clearly? And Solomon talks about how it is better to be in a place, in a house of mourning, than to go to a house of feasting. The idea is that when you go into a funeral, when you go to a place where there is sobriety it keeps you solemn it makes you think clearly about life it makes you think about eternal matters chapter 8 talks about how solomon commands people to obey the rulers in their life understand that god is the real sovereign here even though kings and rulers come and go the only one that's truly in control is god himself and when we get to chapter 9 solomon talks about how Life, all of our lives, are in the hands of a sovereign God. That no matter what we do in this life, everything is under God's hand control. In chapter 10, this is last time I preached this was in, back in February, I talked about how just a little foolishness can ruin everything in your life. You can make 10,000 wise choices, but one foolish decision can ruin everything. Now, when we get to this portion of the text this morning, chapter 11, he actually gives practical application. Because the first 10 chapters, these, these are all philosophical arguments about life in a fallen world. But here in chapter 11 and uh, later in chapter 12, he actually gives us tangible application, practical advice on how to live in this fallen world. So for this morning, Solomon will give us three words and how we can manage our life well so that we don't have to think about doing things over again. He's giving us these counsel now so that, when we look in, so that we can make a decision now, hoping that in the future we won't have to look back at these mistakes and say, I wish there was a do-over. So the first word is this. If you're taking note, the first word is diversify. The first word is diversify. Notice verse 1 and 2. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portions to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur 
on the earth. Solomon is trying to give some financial advice here. It says to cast your bread, and this word cast is not this idea of like sending a fishing, like casting a fishing, uh, casting a fishing rod to catch a fish, but rather it's this idea of sending. This word sending is usually usually used about sending a messenger or sending an animal to do something. He says, "Cast your bread on the surface of the waters." And this word bread here, it's not speaking of literal bread, but rather it's figuratively to describe just the sustenance in your life. You're casting off the things that you that that you need in order to live. Genesis chapter three, when Adam fell into sin. God told Adam that it is because of his because of his foolishness, because of his sin, that he needs to work hard. Chapter three, verse nineteen: By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, where because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So Solomon here is not saying literal bread, like you throw bread in the water, kind of like the like you see in the park. You know, elderly people that get crumbs to throw, and then pigeons fly around him. That's not this picture here. He's not tell, telling you to do that. Rather, he's telling people to go and invest in some sort of foreign commodity, to invest, to make use of your money. I've heard it said that if you think of money as your friends, tell your friend to go and make more friends. That's the idea here. That's why in verse two it says, "Divide your portions to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur." He's telling people to go and make investments, not just one, but diversify. Diversify your resources so you will be safe in the time of difficulty. We understand, and even I think even Solomon gets that, that even though in a fallen world you can invest. And you can have a whole bunch of investments, and that's to keep you safe. No investments are risk-free, and there's no guarantee that your investment will turn out well. But if you at least have multiple streams of income, then generally speaking, you'll be safe. The principle is that you don't put all your financial hope in one area, but that you're wise enough to be able to diversify what God has given you. But you'll notice that the end of verse one said, "For you will find it after many days." The implication is that when you invest, it takes time for it to grow. That it, that you have to wait. You have to be patient. And in, in an age of instant gratification, this is a hard verse to apply into our lives. Because in our day and age, we want all the resources, we want all the income, we want all the money right now. And that's because sometimes people lack perspective on how to slowly gain wealth. That if you really want wealth to increase your wealth. It is something that takes time. Proverbs chapter thirteen, verse eleven. Solomon writes this. He said, "Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it." This is idea that if you try to obtain wealth quickly, it goes away quickly. Rather, you need to work hard at it in order for your wealth to grow. You only get in what you what you put in. You only get out what you put in, and it's, and it's really a call for Christian to be resourceful with the resources that God has given you. Use your resources well. Now we understand that when it comes to investments, investments will not work if you are greedy or if you're discontent. And by that I mean I'm not saying that you won't get a lot of money if you're greedy. I'm saying that you will not be satisfied with your investments if you are greedy or discontent. 
2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14 describes how the false prophet, they're trained in greed. They're individuals that train themselves to want more in this life. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 as well, as well as Ephesians tells us that the people that are greedy, these are the people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. At the same time, if you're discontent, no matter how much money you have, you will never be satisfied. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5, we'll get there when we return to Hebrews, but Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says this, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, Paul writes, if we have, <coughs> if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. And of course, we also know in Philippians 4, when Paul talks about how he has many, whether he has a lot or very little, he knows the secret of contentment. Yet he learned the secret of contentment. Contentment is what makes a person satisfied with whatever they have. So when you think about investing, even if you have a lot of investments, that will not bring you any satisfaction if you're a greedy person or if you're discontent with what God has given you. People who want money right away will lose all they have right away. Put it another way, greed and discontentment are not godly characteristics. It is an ungodly attitude towards money if you don't have self-control. It is wise to invest and have a long-term perspective in mind. Be wise with your checkbook. Discipline yourself to know how much money you have coming in and how much money that you're using going out. Handle your money well. And Solomon's trying to get, to read, get the reader to understand that if you have multiple streams of income, generally it will go well for you. If somehow you're able to lose all seven or even eight of your streams of income, that means something catastrophic has happened, like the world has come to an end. Something bad has happened that, that you're able to lose every single thing in your life. However, we as believers, as New Testament believers, we know that Having investment in itself is not wrong. It's not wrong to invest and have all of these things for, to be able to survive in this world. That's perfectly fine. But when you think about investing, you should do something with your investments. There is only one true risk-free investment. That is when you do things for eternal purposes. When you use the money that you have, not only to just you know, provide for your family and take care of yourself, that's good, but you use it in a way that brings God glory. When you use the money that you have to evangelize to the lost or to minister to people in the church or to go and care for the orphans or the widows or the poor, the, to, using all the resources you have for God's kingdom purposes, these are things that's pleasing to the Lord. In fact, if you just invest and invest and do nothing with it, the Bible has a word for you. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. This is what Jesus says in terms of the covetousness of this poor steward. He has he talked about this rich man who had has a whole bunch of money. It said that in verse 16 of chapter 12 in Luke, the land of a rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and all my goods. 
And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. When you think about your life, when you think about all the investments that you have, it is good to have it, not only to take care of yourself, but use it in a way that you can draw people to Christ. God will give you a return and in, in, in a, in a, in a, will give you eternal rewards in how you spend the money that he's given you in this life. Be wise and be sensible. Don't go into eternity wishing that you can do over, have a do-over with your life that you can spend, you can spend the wealth that God has given you for eternal purposes. You have the money now, use it, for, use it now. Use it in a way that could bring God glory. Use it in a way that could bring people to Christ. Not only do you want, do you not, not only do you want to live wisely by not putting all your eggs in one basket or diversify, but our second point, if you want to live wisely and have no do-overs, our second word would be daring. Daring would be the second word. Notice in verse 3 to 5. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, Wherever the tree falls, there it lies. Solomon is trying to paint this picture for us that sometimes when you look at a gray cloud, you know that means it's going to rain soon. And other times in nature, you see a tree that's just on the ground. You don't know how it got there or when it, was, when it happened. You just know that in life, there are these two extremes. There's sometimes things you can anticipate, and sometimes there are things in life where it just seems completely random. Trees just falls, and sometimes you just discover a fallen tree. You don't know how it got there. A few months ago, I was going home from church, and I was getting on the freeway, and this is near where the Daily City movie theater is, and I noticed there weren't any cars going northbound, which implies that there's an accident. Now, be, me being very nosy, I decided to go all to the left lane to see what happened. I, I anticipated some sort of shootout or a, a multi-car pileup with a whole bunch of ambulances. But when I got there, I was stunned by what I saw. I saw a horse. There was a horse running around the freeway, and police officers and farmers tried to bait it with care to get it back into the car. It's just a fascinating scene. It's like, oh, there's a horse in the middle of the freeway. Later on, I looked at Google and see that, that the, the traffic went from Daly City all the, way ta- all the way down to Foster City. It was like a long, Redwood City, all the way down, all the way down there. But can you imagine all the way down in Redwood City, and you're stuck in traffic, and you have no idea why there's traffic. You don't know that miles and miles ahead, there's a horse running around the freeway. Life seems random at times. You can live life seeming so ordinary at one moment, and the next is just completely different. In fact, four years ago, to the day, if you go on social media four years ago, there's so many people that are on social media that say, next year is going to be my year, 2019, December 31st. (laughs) Next year, it is going to be my year, hashtag new year, new me. You're laughing because you understand what happens next. The pandemic happens. Life can be so unpredictable. There are things in your life that you cannot anticipate so what are we to do? Solomon gives us a negative example. 
Verse 4, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. This is Solomon's giving you a negative example of what not to do. He describes this farmer as just looking into the sky, and he sees a cloud, and he thinks to himself, I'm not going to work today. I'm just going to go back into my house. He's someone that's just constantly waiting for the perfect opportunity to start working. He's looking for the perfect situation. Farmers can how can control can, they can't control everything, but they're still responsible in sowing the seed and hoping that one day they'll get a harvest. The implication with this is that the farmer is just watching and waiting, never sowing and never reaping because he's just waiting for the perfect condition before he begins to work. And that we can draw some implication here and some warnings for us. If we were like this farmer, just always waiting, always just wondering and never acting, life is not going to go anywhere for us. We'll never be able to accomplish anything meaningful in this life if we're not willing to take chances. The farmer, when they plant, there's always a chance that the weather will not be perfect. But the wise farmer will plant knowing that there's a possibility that things will also go in his favor as well. The ideal person is always looking for the ideal circumstance, and, it just, and they, they choose to do nothing. They're always thinking to themselves, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow the clouds will not be there. Maybe tomorrow will be a better weather for me to start planting seed. But look at Solomon. He says in verse 5, Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you don't know the activity of God who makes all things. <clears throat> Solomon addresses the audience directly here. He's reminding us that we know very little in this life. Our knowledge is so minute compared to God. It, depending on your translation here in verse 5, it's a, in the ESV it uses the word spirit, like the spirit entering into the body of a baby. And NASB uses the word wind. I tend to hold to the ESV translation here because I think in the context it's talking about a baby, a, a baby in a womb. Just like, so the idea here is that just like how you do not know how a spirit gets into the baby in the womb and how the baby is formed, how can you anticipate what the future is going to be? Now I know in our modern technology, we can see a baby with a sonogram, we can see it develop, but the doctors do not know why it happens that way. They can anticipate what is supposed to happen. They could look at it and say, this is what normally happens, but there's no way they can know definitively of why it happens this way. Why does it have to happen in this particular way? It's something that they do not know. We can observe things, but we cannot explain why that is. And this is what Solomon is trying to get at. That in life, there are just things that you cannot know. You can't know everything before you make a decision in life. There is no way for you to know everything. If the reason why you choose not to do anything in your life because you're waiting for the perfect condition, the perfect circumstances, that will not happen. And even if a seemingly perfect circumstances come into your life, you have no way to know if the outcome is going to be exactly what you hoped for. You have no clue even how you came into the world. How can you anticipate the future? And this is a recurring word throughout verse 1 to 6 is that you do not know. Right? Chapter 11, verse 2, you do not know what misfortunes may occur on the earth. Verse 5, just as you do not know the path of the wind. And then later on, so you do not know the activities who makes all things. 
And in verse 6, for you do not know whether morning or evening will succeed. You do not know. There are so many things in this life that you do not know. The point is that God knows, and it is our responsibility to trust in him and to live in a way that is with faith. We know God is doing something, and we do not know everything that, we don't know everything that God does and his sovereign plan, but everything that God does is on track, even if we have no idea what it is. Even though we do not know what is going to happen, we need to know that God will act. We cannot be a people that's completely paralyzed by what ifs. What if, what if I did this? Or what if I did that? There's no guarantee in this life. Yet Solomon is saying, do something with your life. Think about how many missed opportunities have passed you by because you just spent all your time waiting and thinking and analyzing. If you keep doing that, eventually life will pass you by and you will sit there with nothing to show for. Some of the people here in our culture thinks that I'm not going to work until I have the perfect job, until I have the perfect opportunity to work in the place that I want. I'm not going to work. What they're essentially saying is that they'd rather have zero income than to work for less so that hopefully they could save up some money for the future. They think to themselves, what if the perfect job comes and I miss it because of this lesser job? And Or maybe if you think of the realm of dating and marriage, you think to yourself, well, I don't want to go out with this person. What if I like somebody else? What if things don't work out? And you constantly worry about things that you, don't need, you have no control over. Or maybe think of it in a much more deeper sense when it comes to evangelism. You have a friend or a family member that does not, that have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You think to yourself, well, what if I share the gospel with them and they don't want to be my friend anymore? What if they want to ghost me? How can I be a positive influence in their life if I share the gospel with them? What if, what if, what if? And what is amazing is that how fast that change, that phrase, what if, changes to I wish. I wish I took that job when I had the opportunity. I wish I went out with that person when I had the opportunity. I wish I shared that, the gospel with that person when I had the opportunity. Stop worrying, stop being anxious, and start acting in faith. The solution to fear, which is the reason why most of us are paralyzed by our indecisiveness, is because we don't trust the Lord. We have this fear, and as Christians, we need to understand that we know God is sovereign. If God is sovereign, that everything that we do would be pleasing to him as long as we're walking in obedience to him. Every decision that we make, whether it goes in our favor or not, we know that if, if we are faithful to the Lord, then the outcome is for our good and is for God's glory. Theodore Roosevelt said this, Do what you can with what you have where you are at. No one who is successful or have anything good in their life or meaningful in life wait for the ideal circumstance because they know that there is no such thing as a perfect circumstance. Life is imperfect and is oftentimes very strange. So you must make the most of your life by taking risk. Trust in the Lord. Make it, uh, you know, I'm not saying don't pray or don't search scripture or counsel. I'm not saying that. But at some point, you need to make a decision in your life. Start something that's worthwhile in your life. Don't just wait and wait until life passes you by. You can't wait for the right moment to work. So what Solomon tried to get at is if you 
are the farmer and you see rain, what you need to do is get an umbrella and start working. If you are someone that sees the other person that you're interested in across the room, then take the step, go and ask them out. If you see a gospel opportunity, you need to take it and go and make disciples of Jesus Christ, knowing that God is with you and he'll never leave you or forsake you. Inactivity is dangerous. Don't wait. Act. Don't waste your life doing nothing because of fear and anxiety. We're called to put off fear. We're in, but the opposite of putting, on, putting off fear is not fearlessness. It's faith in the Lord. It's trusting in God. Why do we get paralyzed by fear and anxiety? It's because we don't trust God. We should know that all, all of our lives are under the hands of a sovereign and good God. And although the outcome may not be what we'd like, it is what is best for us. We can't presume on God, but we must have faith in the Lord. Do you know the difference between presumption and faith? Presumption is like what the prosperity gospel, how they think. God will give me this job. God will give me this spouse. God will definitely save this person. It's assuming the outcome just because of, for sake of faith. Whereas faith is knowing that you're obedient to the Lord, that you trust in him, that no matter what the outcome may be, it will be ultimately for his glory that he has orchestrated certain events. Now, in this case, it just, it, it, we're not trying to alleviate human responsibility. And that's what Solomon's trying to get at. You need to be faithful with your life. Stop being afraid and act. Because when we choose when we're hesitant, when we're always anxious, at the end of this, you find that there's regret. And that's what those what I wish statements are about. You regret not doing certain things because of fear. You wish you could go back. You wish you could do over that conversation or that relationship, hopefully, hopefully hoping that there would be a different outcome. But if you trust that God is good, and you trust that God is sovereign, then there's no need for you to worry, but to continue trust in the Lord. As long as we keep thinking about what ifs in our lives and waiting for the perfect circumstances, we will not be able to accomplish anything with meaning in life, or anything meaningful in this life. Do not be held back by fear, but instead move forward in faith. Trust in God's sovereignty. Not only do we live wisely by diversifying and being daring with our lives, but lastly, We'll, the last word, we'll call it diligence. Solomon will instruct us by being diligent in this life. Look at verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. There are things that, the, that Solomon knows that might or might not happen, and that's just the reality of life that he just doesn't know and we don't know. But there are things that we do know, and that is what is before us. Solomon is stressing that given that life is so unpredictable, work on things that you do know. Focus on things that you have somewhat of a control over. In this case, he's talking about work. The wise individual looks at his life, and he knows that he needs to attend to his responsibilities. Be diligent. Work hard for everything that you could enjoy in this life. We must... We must engage vigorously and continuously in the activities, knowing, not knowing whether or not this will go for our favor or against us, but we're still called to be faithful with what God has given us. Psalms warning people that assume that there is a right time and right opportunity to work, 
But he's saying, no, the best time to work is right now. Don't be idle in your life. Do something with your life. Work hard. If, you never, if you're never sure about what the future holds, then be responsible for what you do know. Work hard in the task that God has given you. If you want to manage your life well, you need to work hard in your life. Why is it so hard in this fallen world to work hard? In fact, I would say that, I think that in, in our day and age, it's almost like if you work hard, it's frowned upon. People tend to think that if you are diligent at what you do, that there's something wrong with you. Our culture hates work. They love leisure and they hate work. And Solomon makes it clear that we need to work day and night. And again, this is not saying that you overwork yourself. It's not saying you idolize work. But there's just a reality that you want to work not knowing what the future has to hold, what the future holds. This work speaks of man's responsibility before God. It balances out the sovereignty of God. That you need to work because work is actually good for you. There was a Gallup poll that came out in the last few years that talked about how the longer a person does not work, the greater chances they are to go through depression. That they, the scale that the longer from 12 months to 16 months to 32 months, how it, a person becomes more and more depressed the more they're out of, the longer they're out of work. And I think, although this Gallup poll means well and try to explain some of the reasons, well, it could be because they can't buy things anymore, they can't travel. Yes, those things are true, but they don't understand that man was made to work in, on this planet. Work is a good thing. It's only sin that makes hard work it makes work difficult. Sin makes work difficult. Earlier on in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, Solomon writes, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that is from the hand of God. Chapter 3, verse 12, it says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. The ability to work and the ability to enjoy the labor, the fruit of your labor, both of them are a gift from the Lord. You're able to enjoy life because you're made to work. You will enjoy the things in the, in the life because you have work. It's no surprise then why people are so depressed. They are so focused on pleasure and leisure that they feel completely meaningless. It is only because of work, that tension that you have work and rest that makes, gives you balance, because I think that's what God wants, that we're supposed to work and we're supposed to rest. There was a time a hundred years ago where people work for six days out of the week and have one day off. I know that's shocking to most of you. Like, what? They don't have a weekend? No, it's just one day off. And on that one day that they rest, they usually would go to church or they would uh, find some sort of recreation. And that's what the word recreation means, is to recreate. You rest so that you can go back to work. Nowadays, we have you know, a weekend, and then there's even news of having a third day of rest. And you can see that as there's more rest that goes on, the world becomes more and more depressed because they don't know why they're working. They don't even know what they're resting for. They don't understand how life is supposed to be because they're living in a life without God. And Solomon is saying here that you need to work. Work hard so that you can enjoy this life. And I hope that for some of you that you won't have this do-over, that you wish that you work harder at your work. 
Because there are moments in which you look back and say, I wish I was more diligent so I could be a better testimony for the Lord. I wish I was more diligent so I can have more resources to support myself and my family. Work hard now so that you won't have any regrets later on. And Solomon is trying to give us three words of wisdom on how we can live life well in this fallen world. We need to diversify what God has given us. Spread your resources in multiple places so that you can survive living in a fallen world. You take, be daring, take chances, take risks, knowing that God is also sovereign over all things. And be diligent with the work that God has given you. Now, understand that throughout this entire book, Solomon concludes that the most important thing is that you need to fear the Lord. Because a non-believer can do all of these things. They can di- have diver- diversify their income or portfolio. They can have, they could be very daring and they could be diligent at their work. But in the end, it means absolutely nothing because they have no fear of God. All of these things, eventually they'll find it is completely meaningless. That's why in chapter 12, verse 13, Psalm in the conclusion, when all has been heard is fear God and keep his command before this applies to every person. You need to fear the Lord. And for those of you that are believers here today, I hope that you would take God's word to heart to trust in him and to, do, and to do what Solomon is saying, under the fear of the Lord. It's only fearing the Lord, only true worshipers understand why they need to work, why they need to have leisure, why they need to even have meaning in this life. It is because they understand God has given them all of this for God's glory. They can enjoy this life well. They can live wisely if they apply God's word into their life. That if, you do, if you apply God's word, you won't need to look back and say, I wish I would do this over again. But for you, non-believers, my greatest hope for you is not to even apply these principles necessarily, although if you apply it, yeah, generally it'll work well for you. But more importantly, I, I hope that you fear the Lord because there will be a day in all of ter- that you'll encounter God and on that day, you cannot plead with God and say, God, can I have a do-over? Just give me back the seconds that I have before I met you in person. Give me those seconds that I can turn from my sin, that I can finally place your faith in you. Let me go back to those final seconds of my life. Spurgeon said that today is the day of the Lord, but tomorrow is the day of the devil. And what that means is that today is a day of salvation. Today is a day that you have an opportunity to turn from your sins so that when you're in, so that hopefully you could avoid going to hell and wishing and regretting that you can just do this life over again. That you can go and at the final moments place your faith in Jesus Christ so you can escape the judgment that, is, that you're enduring. And that's my hope for you who do not know Jesus Christ here today. That you would place your faith today. That today is a day of salvation that you won't hesitate and, and hesitate to, to turn to Christ, that you'll let go of sin and place your faith in the one and only Jesus Christ who lived that perfect life for you and died a death in your place so that you do not have to endure the wrath that is meant for you. If that is you today, I pray and hope that you would take the warning seriously so that you won't have to look in eternity wishing that you could do this life all over again. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that this life is short and the things in this life passes away quickly. And I hope, Lord, that you can give us this clarity and wisdom how we can live in a way that is honoring to you. For those of us here that are believers, I pray and hope 
that we can live wisely, that we can um, take all the resources that you've given us, that we can invest it well so that we can invest in eternal things. And I pray also for us that as as we think about the opportunities in, in this life, that we live by faith, that we're willing to be daring, not because for sake of risk-taking, but because we know that we, the opportunities can, uh, can escape us because of fear and anxiety. May we cast those things aside and put on trust in you. And Lord, may we also be diligent with our lives, that we can be faithful, knowing that there is a people watching us, and may we represent you well wherever you place us, Lord. Lord, I do pray for those who do not know you that are listening to this message now, that you can convict them of just how short and brief this life is and hope that they can fear you, knowing that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen.